welcome back to the Midfield 3 podcast. Today, Chad and I start off with the NFL playoff wildcard round, talking a little Browns v. Steelers, Bears v. Saints, Colts v. Bills, as well as getting into some predictions for the divisional rounds this weekend. We also talked a lot of Bundesliga today, doing a little bit on Marco Rosa and Gladbach 3-2 win over Bayern. A little bit about Matthew Hopper from Schalke, who scored his hat trick, his crazy awesome hat trick, giving us USMNT and some hope that we might have a striker, or maybe it's a flash in the pan. And we finished off with some January transfer window rumors and speculation, talking about things we, we might uh, want to see shake out or uh, moves that shouldn't happen. So enjoy the episode. Chad, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. How are you, Jack? Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, are you feeling the Josh Allen thunder right now? Uh, hell yeah, baby. I mean, look, Josh Allen's my guy. He comes out. Let's just put this how you have to put it. He was the Bills offense. All right. They sucked without him. Uh, the Colts run game ran all over them. They let a... 40 like one-year-old nearly retired philip rivers walk all over them in the secondary i mean josh allen came out and made josh allen plays like the bills got outplayed all game they or their defense did you know they got horrible the offense started with i think maybe the worst field position of all time on like eight consecutive drives they have an average of eight as their starting yard line but uh anytime you got a top three qb in the league you can win a game and Allen's a top three QB in the league. You saw it on that play. The first scramble, he rolls to the right, finds Gabriel Davis. Ridiculous throw. What does he do next play? He rolls to his left and finds Gabriel Davis. Another ridiculous throw. So, you're on the Bills. Anytime Allen is in the game, you have a chance. There was one 96-yard drive, wasn't there? Something like that. I mean, just Josh Allen really pulling out the stops there. But I got to give props to Philip Rivers. Um I listen to the the Bill Simmons podcast pretty much every week, and I listen to the like the you know uh, Monday morning pod where it's it's just all NFL. And as much as I didn't necessarily watch a huge variety of games during the regular season, um, anytime there was Colts analysis, sort of in those first eight games, it was always like mm, Philip Rivers, you know. Just doing just okay, kind of a, a a weak point potentially in the offense, but he really pulled it out. I think like 320 yards or so. Uh, I don't think it was that much. That was Allen, but uh, yeah. Look, Rivers has acquitted himself well all season. It's uh, you you weren't gonna get elite chunk from him, especially at his age, but he did what he needed to do all season. The Colts were a good playoff team, and you know there are a couple of throws he might want back, but at the end of the day, he did well enough to give them a chance. Yeah, and I mean, what do the what would you say the Bills need to fix from this weekend's game for the Ravens? Things they need to keep in mind for that Ravens matchup. I mean, this one's obvious, right? They're going up against the most dangerous run game in the league. They just got shredded on the run by a team that, outside of John Taylor, is not that dangerous on the ground. So, 
it's hard to say, like, just go fix your run game. You know, it's a huge change. I don't know if there's really anything they can do. Um, I'd like to see Ed Oliver be more active in the pass rush for them. But outside of individual improvement, I really don't think there's anything scheme-wise Bills. I mean, we saw last year when they played Lamar, they lost by seven points, but they managed to hem him in. They kept him to 40 yards on 11 scrambles with kind of a like a double spy on the edge kind of defensive line system. It's hard to describe verbally, I guess, but uh, I would probably run that back if I were them. Um, and you just got to hope that one of your guys steps up and I'm looking at Ed Oliver, you know, most blue chip player on that D line to be that guy. Do you think this turns into another, um, just sort of a QB versus QB showdown and whichever one pulls out more stops and uh, makes more game changing plays? will sort of grab the game for his team. Yeah, I mean, what NFL game isn't kind of a QB versus QB showdown in the playoffs, you know? But uh, no, I don't know. I think the Ravens are going to be desperate to prevent that. I think they're going to look to J.K. Dobbins early and often because the Bills have shown they have the scheme to kind of contain Lamar. Lamar, as good of a player as he is, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes a bit, right? Like, that win against the Titans was nervy. It was not, uh, you know, a wipe away win. They almost could have, they could have lost, frankly, if Mike Vrabel had gone for a fourth and two. So I think J.K. Dobbins is probably the most important player for the Ravens. I think if he gets going, the Bills are just going to have a brutal time trying to stop Lamar as well. So, uh, and then, you know, on the Bills side, I tagged that Oliver, but of course you're right. That team lives and breathes Josh Allen. I mean, he's their offense. Like, Diggs is elite. Beasley's great. Brown is good when healthy, but none of that happens without him. You know, I want to. I wanna, actually, I want to move on. I want before we get to the obviously the playoff game everyone's talking about. I want to get to the Bears versus the Saints. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it's been four years. It's been four years of me looking at Mitch Trubisky and asking for some Mitch money. You know, I just need a little Mitch money, and no, so. Uh, I wanted to give him a shout out because for the first time in his career, he won an award. He was named the Nickelodeon valuable player, a monumentous achievement for him on his way to leading his team to a 12 point loss. So I think he passed for like 160 yards, which is a putrid mark for a playoff quarterback. And, uh, you know, congrats on the award. Thanks for four years. Get out of town. The Nickelodeon broadcast memes were possibly some of the greatest internet NFL content ever. It was, it was truly <laughs> were incredible. Were they? What were they? Well, it's just, you know, a lot of making fun of the SpongeBob between the uprights, uh, <laughs> the copious amounts of slime involved. That was definitely an interesting. Yeah, broadcast. yeah. No, no, that for sure. That's why uh, Javon Wims didn't catch that uh, dynamite pass. I don't know if you see, saw, he dropped a perfect yeah, default yeah. from Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. yeah. It was because I wanted to get slimed, you know. I I understand it. I wouldn't want to get slimed either. I mean, obviously, it's it's uh, oversimplification to sort of bring the entirety of a game into one play, but yeah. that whims drop pass just feels incredibly uh. consequential. Uh, obviously, it would have changed the score, but just in terms of uh, play style. Bears didn't really take a risk after that that play. Well, the Bears suck. <laughs> I mean, what what risk do you want them to take? 
can I we just, like you know when you, when you're you know going into the half seven three away against the Saints is it is it damage limitation or is it you know you got to grab the game a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they should let Mitch Trubisky sling the ball a little more, but Mitch Trubisky and slinging the ball are oxymorons. So I'm not, I'm not going to beat myself up about it, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. I do, I do have a, I do have a metaphorical Spanish ham recipient for this game, though, even though it's football. Um, who is your metaphorical Spanish ham recipient? I'm going to take a moment to highlight the third most famous cornerback on the St. Louis Rams, C.J. Gardner Johnson. He is primarily their slot corner because their two best corners are Janoris Jenkins and Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey, but um, wow, I just said Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey's on the Raiders. I'm talking about Marshawn Lattimore, who's excellent. Sorry, Marshawn. Anyways, CJ Gardner Johnson's a legend. Okay, for those who don't know, the first time the Bears matched up with uh, the Saints, Javon Wims, Bears wide receiver, was ejected because he socked C.J. Gardner-Johnson with, like, apparently no explanation. But we rewound the tape. We watched the clips. What happened was C.J. Gardner-Johnson trash-talked Javon Wims, got Wims to turn around, stole Javon Wims' mouthpiece or mouth guard. I mean, this is incredible. You can't make this shit up. He stole his mouth guard. Javon Wims gets subbed out, okay? And then the Bears miss the next pass, and it gets punted. So Javon Wims is sitting on the bench for 11 minutes, between 5.10 and 5.21 Central Time. He's on the bench. And when he gets back in, the first play back in, he runs to C.J. Gardner-Johnson, tries to steal C.J. Gardner-Johnson's mouthpiece. <laughs> and when he fails, he just punches C.J. Gardner-Johnson in the helmet repeatedly because, you know, hand against steel, that makes sense. It's, it's and, an incredible mo- Like, I saw the tape. Just ridiculous. Absolutely yeah, ridiculous. and of course, Javon Wims gets ejected and on the next play. Nick Foles throws a pick and the Bears lose. So uh, I just want to highlight how incredible C.J. Gardner-Johnson is because that play might have won them the game. That's how good his trash talk was. Also, shout out to Javon Wims for sitting on the bench for 11 minutes and just thinking about stealing a guy's mouthpiece. It's next level. That takes some some serious plotting, but also like not taking serious plotting. Just a lot of overthinking. It's like, but dude, that's it's, like, it's yeah. just incredible. incredible. It's like, Vol- it's like Voldemort shit. Anyway, so CJ Garner Johnson, he's back at it again. This time, he trash talks Bears wide receiver Anthony Miller all game. He's in Anthony Miller's face. He's in Anthony Miller's grill. He's talking to Anthony Miller. I don't even want to know what he's telling him. Probably some shit about his mom. And Anthony Miller flips, socks CJ Garner Johnson, gets ejected. Guess who wins the game? The Saints. How do you feel about their performance and how they're going to be next weekend? I don't know. Uh, Breeze made me nervous. I don't think he looked all that healthy or spry, but uh, CJ Gardner Johnson, that if that guy can get uh, Tom Brady ejected, like, you know, they're home free. Mike Evans, I, I would not be shocked if we see Mike Evans or Antonio Brown, especially Antonio Brown ejected 10 minutes in this game. Like if you if those two clips don't that, do it okay. for you, Antonio Brown screams. Yeah, that, no, he, uh, that kind scre- of, that's quality. Yeah, screams C.J. Gardner Johnson ejection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just I sorry, I'm I just I have more evidence here. I just want to highlight how great C.J. Gardner Johnson is. He got his own teammate Michael Thomas to punch him in the helmet in practice, and further the Bears were so concerned about his game changing mouth that this is no joke. <laughs> this is no joke. They devoted multiple 
uh, they devoted practice time on multiple days to showing clips of CJ Gardner Johnson in order to reinforce that he's a huge instigator and to warn players not to take the bait. Anthony that Miller took incredible. Yeah, Anthony Miller incredible. Took, Anthony Miller took that bait as we said, but to make things better, he was asked about Gardner Johnson's mouth before the game. And he said, who? Mark. So. Wow. I, I do think, you know, a little bit of talk <laughs> that Breeze is, this is his last run. So I don't know if there's an added uh, incentive there for the team, but overall I wasn't incredibly impressed with the Saints. Obviously, anything can happen in this year's NFC. It doesn't have a sort of uh, Chiefs runaway um, easy number one, although obviously Chiefs have not had the greatest last few weeks of the season. So be interesting to see how that ends up going. On to Brown Steelers. All right, the most I, ridiculous I, first quarter of a football yeah, game I've ever seen. Yeah, it, insane. Look, we've had Minshew Mania. We had Money Mitch. Okay, we never had Money Mitch, but um, we had Minch Mania. I'd like to add Mayfield Magic. That's like that's that the one. only I like that's that the one. that's the only explanation. Okay, the Browns come into this game with their head coach out with COVID. They're starting all pro offensive lineman out with COVID. Uh, they're missing their top cornerback and second best defensive player, probably one of their top four players, Denzel Ward. And the first play of the game, the Steelers snap this shit into their own end zone, give up a touchdown. Okay, second, like, play of the game, Steelers throw a pick. Browns go down, score. Third drive, Steelers throw another pick. I mean, I've never, yeah. yeah. I want to give the Browns credit because literally there was a guy on that offensive line who Mayfield had never met before. He introduced himself to this guy whose name, according to Mayfield, is, quote, something like Blake. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I want to give credit where it's due to the Browns, but the Steelers, I mean, I've never seen, like, I mean, it's magical. I've never seen a team fall apart so badly. It's it's so ridiculous. It's almost inexplicable, you know. Well, it's but the Browns. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, nothing's inexplicable, right? I mean, it's like the football gods. Uh, it's like the football gods after 25 years of just crapping on the Browns. Like, all right, all right, we'll take a break. You know, we'll pay them back. And then as soon as the Browns came out 28-0, they're like, ah, we better make this one close again. Well, yeah, I, you as a Browns fan myself, that was an incredibly hard to watch game um, from the second quarter onwards. Obviously, you've got this little bit of existential dread that just like, oh, this is the Browns, can't have it too easy. Um, <laughs> but the Steelers were just having their way with with the Browns secondary, and obviously, it is not going to help having Denzel Ward out as well as Kevin Johnson, who's our slot cornerback, and. Hopefully, could have done a, a little job on on Juju, but um, yeah, not I a mean, not a comfortable game to watch. That's I don't game. know, man. You you gotta just take your wins if you're a Browns fan. Whew. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it sounds like Stefanski's gonna be back next week, um, and as well as hopefully some of our players. So maybe <laughs> they give the Chiefs a game. All right, I don't want I don't want to. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't. If Mayfield Magic comes back and the Chiefs offensive line lays an egg, you know, I don't – the default stance in the NFL tends to be Mahomes, ever, like, is just better than everyone. I think 
Mahomes is probably the best player, but there's a difference between how good you are and the way you're playing, right? You can, you know, your form deviates. Uh, right now, Mahomes, he, he's inevitable. He's a top three QB, but I'm more scared as a player of Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers right now. So I wouldn't, crazier things have happened. You know, the eight, the nine and seven Giants beat the 15 and one Packers in like 2011, 2012. It, this could really, I'm not going to say that the Browns will win because I'd be shocked if they pull this one off. Mahomes is just that good and the Chiefs are loaded. I mean, no one needs me to recapitulate how talented that offense is, but uh, there's a chance, you know, I'm not, I'm not after watching that Steelers game. I'm not going to say it's impossible. And I certainly don't favor the Browns defense over the Chiefs offense. I mean, that's that's not a a hard yeah, matchup to, to call. Yeah, but no. the Browns offense, I have a lot of confidence in, especially after the way Baker just sort of game managed uh, against the Steelers. Just like no mistakes, basically ever. It was yeah. obviously got to like give a lot of credit to the to the OC there. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go football nerd real quick. I want to see. A lot of jumbo set out of the Browns. That's when they load up with three tight ends. They've got a real talented tight end group. Austin Hooper's real good. Dave Njoku is a blocker. He's been a good receiver. He was the first round pick. Uh, Harrison Bryant came out of the draft last year. He's been pretty bright for them. So with two dynamic runners, they've got Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt, and they're facing Pat Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. The name of the game for the Browns needs to be ball control. And so putting in three tight ends those guys are going to be better blockers than wide receivers, right? So I think the name of the game is they need to disguise their pass with that jumbo set, run out of the jumbo set a decent amount. Obviously, most of your runs are going to come with just like an offensive line and stuff. That's whatever. But uh, I'd like to see them trot that out a lot. I don't have the figures for how often they use it, but given their tight end corpse, because those guys can all catch, uh, I think that might represent their best chance to get off some, you know, close third down plays. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we've we've seen that play enough that, I, I feel confident, you know, that we can do it to a high level, especially with um, Hooper's catching after this weekend. Yeah. All right. Let's pray, man. I'm not, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Mahomes is going to see that secondary and have a day, but that's I'm not confident either, but it's all gravy at this point, you know? Exactly. Massive win against the Steelers <laughs> at Heinz Field. Can't ask for anything. Just better. enjoy the run. Just enjoy exactly. the run. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, any other NFL thoughts? You want to say something about? Oh, we've got to get to um, I, Vrabel. But before we get to the the Vrabel uh, talking point, any other any other thoughts? I want John Walford back. Shout out to John Walford and Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke came into this game an XFL backup. This guy, he was not. He had not been a starting QB ever before. Came into the playoff game against Tom Brady. Came into the playoff game against a good defense. He played really well. I mean, he looked like a legitimate starting QB out there. Do I think he'll ever have a better game in his career? The odds are against it, but he just delivered an incredible game with limited preparation on the biggest stage. I want some team to sign him to, you know, for a QB comp or a backup, whatever, because that guy deserved it here in millions of bucks out there the other day. And John Walford is a guy who has an active LinkedIn page for finance. He majored in finance and business or whatever at Wake Forest. He won an award for being a good finance student and he has insane physicals. He's like super fast, super strong, like sneaky good QB. He was the Rams backup. He came in week 17. He played pretty well, you know, for a backup. 
got them over the Cardinals for the playoffs. He got hurt. He got sent to the hospital in an ambulance uh, in the first quarter. I think it's a neck injury. It might be a concussion. But uh, So my get well soon goes to John Walford because I want to be able to give him a shout-out soon. And my shout-out goes to Taylor Heineke. Heineke, you know, that was a great performance to see. I, I You know, checking ESPN, see what the box score was, what, what went on in that game, being like, who the hell's that guy? And then watching the highlights <laughs> and, and he balled out. And Walford, I did see neck injury. I don't know if there's any more information released on that um, and if there was what it, what it was. But, you know, if you leave the game in an ambulance, it's not looking great for you. Not good. Not good. Um, but as much as Goff didn't screw the game up for the Rams, uh, it is incredible how much of a challenge Walford has sort of given to his stability as um, – unquestionable Rams starting QB. Uh, well, Goff's been in hot water for a year. He hasn't been good enough. He's been okay. Um, no, he hasn't been okay. He's been bad. He's been a bottom third QB. And uh, this game was a huge, even though they won, this game is a huge loss for Jared Goff because the fact that he was able to come in and play over Blake Bortles, um, despite apparently you know being on the bench because he was hurt, it tells you all you need to know about John McVay's faith in wow, John McVay, Sean McVay's faith in Jared Goff. He's clearly not confident, and he clearly thought that Walford gave his team an equal, maybe even better chance to win. If you're Jared Goff, that's you know you got to be scared. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, should we get to? Do you want to do predict playoff predict uh, next week's predictions first? No, or no, the, the variable topic. Well, I want to talk about Mike Vrabel's penis. Yeah, no, I, okay. I I was trying to set you up for this. I just didn't know if you okay. no, no, I end I wanna, on this note or if we... No, I, I want to talk. Look, yeah, okay, let's do it. I, I'm, if you know me, you know that I don't like gratuitous nudity or obscenity. You know, I'm very buttoned up, old-fashioned morals. So I, I want to make it clear this is not sexual at all. But... um. No, it's purely comedic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I also want to make clear that I'm not comfortable handling um mike vrabel's penis with my name out there publicly but jack jack apparently is and this is his podcast so we're going to handle wait, 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 hold up, we're hold gonna up, handle mike up. vrabel's penis out here um football is a, a we now football football is a game of inches and mike vrabel offered up a few in the 2019 offseason when his right tackle taylor lewin asked him coach would you Cut off your penis for the Super Bowl. Mike Vrabel answered yes, unambiguous. Despite having three rings as a play, as a player, not a coach, but yeah. but he has three rings. No, he. I mean, he was downright enthusiastic. He goes, "quote Yeah, probably." And then he gets egged on, and he's all in. He's like, "Yeah, totally." And if you're worried about what his wife thinks about this, don't be. She tweeted out, "quote That she's not mad at all. I actually offered the help with the process." So. Uh, Good for Mike. If he ever needs to cut his penis off, you know, he's got support in his corner. I wonder what that household's like. Um, in any news, that the Titans, of course, you know, in the 2020 season, after that offseason, had a magical playoff run. They upset the Pats, defending Super Bowl champs then, and the top seed, the Ravens. They eventually lost, but I have some theories. I think that magical run occurred because – Either the football gods or Bill Belichick, if you think those are different. 
um, orchestrated this magical playoff run to see if Mike Vrabel would cut off his own penis. And he didn't, as far as we can tell. We don't have absolute info, but it seems like it's still there. I haven't yeah, seen anything no. to the contrary, so I'm going to assume it's still there. And I think that's why the Titans' magical run ended. This season, they get back to the playoffs, and they lose first game to the same Ravens team they beat. Derrick Henry had his worst game of the year. He only got 40, I think it was like 42 yards from scrimmage, which is downright horrible for him. He's yeah, the best like running back in the carries. NFL. I mean, yeah, it's disaster. It was a disaster. Fewer game. than three yards per K. And the game was totally winnable, too. They only lost by seven. So I am pinning this loss on Mike Vrabel's penis because he, I guess he doesn't have the balls to cut it. That's the only explanation. Well, you know? okay. I'd say, I'd say there are two explanations, right? So obviously the way this works is that if he cuts off his penis, it's not a guarantee they win the Super Bowl. It's just an offering to the football gods. And if they respect the offering, then they win, right? So either it's not good enough for the football gods, or he didn't cut it off. I don't know, dude. Ryan Tannehill was a subpar quarterback in Miami who became backup to current backup Marcus Mariota. Derrick Henry was, you know, fine running back, nothing special. Mike Vrabel takes over. Suddenly those guys are superstars. I have Tannehill as a top seven QB in the league. Derrick Henry's the best running back. If you think yeah, yeah. That's he's just done the, it in all seriousness, he's done. No, done no. If, if you, if no, no, come on, don't lie. If you think that's just because Mike Vrabel is some kind of like coaching wizard and not because you know he has like a supernatural penis, I don't know what to tell you. Clearly, you live in a fantasy land. Jack, so, I'm so, done. so is is your theory no, that he has cut it off? My theory, my theory, is that Belichick slash football gods are trying to tempt him into it. And if he does it, the Titans will win a Super Bowl. But if he doesn't, they're cursed. That's look, when the Titans become the next Browns, I'm gonna remind you about this. So Okay. Okay. I want look, I'm my theory's airtight here. I've thought about this a lot. I know you're the expert on handling these things, but I've I've definitely put a lot of thought into this and I think it all rests on Mike Vrabel's penis or lack thereof. So let's all hope he can grow some balls and you know, get the pliers out. Or ask his wife. She seems willing. Pliers sounds really painful. <laughs> Just you, you'd rather go like guillotine style, uh, you? I, I don't want to think about that, man. I don't. <laughs> Look, hey, this is your podcast. Like I said, the, I, I'm not comfortable with this under my under my name, but you are. So, or <laughs> you you tell me, pliers or guillotine or, I mean, uh, Taylor definitely the, not pliers. You know, ma- okay, maybe guillotine is no not the best, but no pliers, no pliers. All right, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Follow yeah. that down. All right. Let's Birthday go. Present. Let's go NFC first. Saints box. Who are you taking? Well, the Saints killed the box twice. Tom Brady had maybe the two worst games of his career. But that Tom Brady was a very miss Tom Brady. The Buck mostly played bad teams over the last five weeks, so it's hard to get a permanent read, but they've been dominating. Tom Brady's hot. And Tom Brady's hot. You can't take someone else. I'm taking Tom Brady. Bucks. I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do the same. I'm just impressed by their offense right now. And that defense is like, stingy. Yeah, no, it is. And I, Saints haven't filled me with confidence all season, per se. Uh, feels like kind of a 
weak two seed, especially in comparison to the Bills. So I'm going to go Bucks as well. Packers v. Rams. Uh, I think this is a very easy <laughs> choice. Aaron versus, Aaron versus Aaron, right? Aaron Donald versus Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my heart my heart wants to pick the Rams, but my brain will let me. Packers, this one's – Rams defense is dynamite, but this one's probably going to be a blowout. It's, you know, age-old adage, you know, as, as well as your uh, defense can play, at the end of the day, your offense has got to put points on the board. And I don't think anyone has confidence in the, in the Rams offense. Not at all. So, not difficult. Browns versus Chiefs. I already covered this one. Pat Mahomes, Chiefs. Yeah. Hearts tell me Browns, of course, but heads go on Chiefs, and that's not hard either. Possibly, no, not possibly. I would say easily the most interesting game of these four. Ravens-Bills. We talked about that run game. Big factor. But Sean McDermott's a great coach. He's shown the ability to, you know, he and his guys have shown the ability to scheme for Lamar beforehand. And are you honestly going to bet against Josh Allen right now? Like, uh, no. Until he faces Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to rock with the best QB right now. And the best QB right now is Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, uh, picking, I guess I picked uh, five in the, uh, in the two five matchup on the NFC side, so I, I feel good about picking the Bills. I don't, I don't have to be contrarian and, and go for the Ravens um, <laughs> when I don't believe in it. So, Bills obviously not um, an impressive defensive showing against the Colts, but playing the Ravens uh, run game is a very different animal than you know trying to do some work in the secondary against Philip Rivers and the Colts. So. Different problems, and I don't know. I'm, at the I'm, end of the I'm, day, got to have faith in Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the key. I would like to clarify: I have no faith in the Bills' defense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they make me nervous. All right, moving on. What else you got? Yes. So now we're gonna transition sports and go from American football to German soccer. Firstly, we got Marco Rosa uh, of Borussia Mönchengladbach, who on Friday beat Bayern. 3-2. Um, I was not expecting this game to finish this way. I wasn't expecting a Gladbach win uh, at all, really. Um, watched the entire game. Bayern started very brightly, which is actually not what they've been doing recently. Uh, they've had some slow starts in recent games, and against Mainz, who are now, now that Schalke have a dub, uh, Mainz are rooted to the bottom of the Bundesliga, and they gave up uh, a Two goals early against Mainz um, in the previous game. And in those first uh, 20 minutes or so, um, Goretzka looked very bright. Sané looked very bright. Douglas Costa uh, ended up not having a very good game, but he was taking up interesting positions. And uh, obviously, Alfonso Davies pushed up high. is going to cause any side some issues. Um, the... Penalty, the, the Neuhaus handball was very strange, but it's definitely a penalty. Robert Lewandowski puts it away, obviously, and, and Goretzka's second was uh, just a very nice move. I thought he was Bayern's best player of the game. So when Gladbach sort of came out and uh, 
really changed things up in the second half. Operating with Stindl and Hoffman, uh, they were just a, a different animal. And I was impressed with the way that um, Rosa relentlessly allowed his side to keep playing out from the back, keep skipping around Bayern's midfield, um, and just sort of taking advantage of a, of a Zula mistake. Um, and, a, and a Bayern defense that generally has not impressed me recently. So what are you thinking in light yeah. of this pretty monumental result? Well, I, I don't really have anything to add. My only question would be, at this early juncture in the series, does this open the door for RB Leipzig? People always want to talk about Dortmund as the challengers, but, uh, you know, they just fired their coach. They've got good players, but I'm, I'm much more intrigued by Julian Nagelsmann Leipzig. They're only two points back at Bayern now. I think they could push into this title if Bayern's defense continues to look shaky. You know, they barely scraped by Leverkusen. Let's not forget that. And, uh, you know, the rematch games, those second fixtures, if Bayern don't figure things out, they could be pushed. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Leipzig, I feel weird about. Um, Generally speaking, I bet on Nagelsmann and his ability to put uh, incredibly cohesive teams together. But they looked incredibly pedestrian in the second half against Dortmund. They dominated possession in the first half. Neither side really had any chances. I think there was a one-shot total, um, and it, it did go Leipzig's way. But the way that Dortmund's attacking uh, four just sort of ripped the Leipzig backline apart um, would not fill you with confidence if you're a Leipzig fan. But I also didn't think uh, that Leipzig's switch to a back four in, in like mid-game really helped them. Um, it kept Angelino a little too far forward for me, which I you know I think like a lot of, of players who have a quote-unquote like attacking skill set, uh, you don't necessarily want them all starting to do their work. Um, in the final third, I thought that was a, a strange shift for them. But over the course of a season, I I do think Leipzig can really get up there and challenge Bayern if, if that defense can, continues to underperform. Yeah, I mean, you said it all. I think the question here is what's next for Marco Rosa? He's linked to Dortmund, obviously. Um, I think it's curious. I think he's a really good manager. I think he's put together a good project at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mönchengladbach. But uh, they're actually not amazing right now. They're seventh on 24 points. So I have confidence. I think Marco Rosa is a good coach. Um, I think the Dortmund move makes sense right now, considering he's coming from a club that's like just behind Dortmund in prestige. You know, they're unlike. I think they're unlikely to lure like a Pakistani or so. So yeah, I mean, it's. I guess Dortmund's the obvious choice, um, and it'd be like sort of another stepping stone. Like if you expect Rosa to be uh, like a uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, PSG, one of the Premier League sort of top four clubs, you expect that to be the, the caliber of coach he ultimately, or the caliber of club he ultimately ends up coaching. Um, 
then Dorman, you know, would be one step in that process. I kind of would like to see him go somewhere else. Obviously, as a, um, you know, very <laughs> iffy on Frank Lampard right now. So I'd be very happy if Rosa came. I think he'd um, put together a more he'd he'd maximize some of, of Chelsea's strengths better. Uh, I think that's one of his best talents as a coach. Probably is just putting the pieces where they need to be, um, while not sort of sacrificing on uh, in other parts of the team. What do you think? I mean, do you where do you want to see him? Dortmund. Yeah. Yeah, he did great work with Alessandra Plea, Briembolo, Marcus Turam. Uh, he's, he, uh, they're, I think they're a real talented trio, but Holland and Sancho and, you know, either Dorgan Hazard or Julian Brandt would be more talented. So I'd be excited to see what he could coax out of them. I'd like to see that Dortmund trio with him. Yeah, I mean, that Holland back post header on Saturday was an absurd move. I mean, he just sort of slums through four players, takes four Leipzig players out of the game, allows for some interplay on the uh, top left side of the box before making a, a back press run. It was perfect attacking, and that Dortmund trio really clicked in the second Holland's, half. Holland scores goals, right? That's what he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 27 in 25 games in the Bundesliga, I think. So, ridiculous. <laughs> All right, now... Yeah, no, I think you're right. I wanna, I, yeah, let's let's talk about Matthew Halpa, uh, also in the Bundesliga. He plays for Schalke. I'm partial to him because he's American. He's an American kid. He's 19. But no one, and I mean no one, considered Matthew Halpa a hot you know, prospect. He got his debut about five games ago, primarily because Schalke suck. Um, Schalke, I think, had... Not one in 30 games that takes like genuine effort at a professional level to either lose or draw 30 consecutive games is it's record breaking. They are one of the worst top tier German teams in recent memory. It's tragic for a franchise. Well, I want to say franchise, a club with their rich history. So they bring the scrappy American kid. They hope to see something from him. He's a midfielder and eh, he's what you expect. He's a scrappy midfielder is not so hot. He's not all that. Well, Something weird happened. They moved him the striker, and he put together just I you know it's too early to call this a breakout game or anything crazy like that, but it had people remembering his name. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, I mean, first American to score a hat trick in the Bundesliga. Schalke's I think youngest hat trick scorer in the Bundesliga. It, it was completely unexpected um, that he really even broke into the Schalke first team. I mean. He had one goal in 16 appearances for the Schalke second team. Now, I, I don't know the quality of those appearances, but that's not the a headline-grabbing stat line. <laughs> no no U.S. under-20 caps. Um, so unexpected and very pleasant because he had some quality finishes at the weekend. Some really Yeah, they're, they're real nice. He makes a real – I mean, they are strikers' goals. The first one is just – textbook it doesn't look special if you you know aren't familiar with what a striker does but he makes a great read on the seam he pushes it full speed he gets the ball and makes a real nice angled finish for his first goal against Hoffenheim uh his second goal is even better it's beautiful so um Schalke advancing the ball up the middle he does this I mean look you know as a striker I have to appreciate this instead of just making a straight run you know, going up like you see a lot of these box-to-box midfield types do. 
it's it's this is almost like yeah you can learn it but it's almost like natural intelligence and spatial awareness he makes this wonderful curving run he sees the scene between the two center backs he goes to his right and it looks like he's like you know going all the way out to his right but what he does is he drags you know both the center backs with him and he the initial seam he saw if he just run up at it it would have closed center backs would have gone there boom done instead by going to the right curving around it timing it just perfectly with the right change of pace he creates this hole he goes through at full speed when the center backs are still adjusting to try and catch up to him uh amina harrett he had three assists he plays the ball through hoppa gets it hoppa does the rest calm collected finish um and i think that play is the microcosm for matthew hoppa because like we said, the catalyst for this is that he got moved positionally to striker. And striking in soccer is weird because striking is not like quarterbacking at all. If anything, it's the opposite. But that's the position it comes closest to in terms of how difficult it is to find strikers. No position has more missed on prospects than striker. I mean, Jamie Vardy is the poster child for this. I think he made his professional debut at 26 or something insane like that, 27. Um, of course, he's now one of the, you know, greater strikers of all time. So uh, Robin Van Persie, another example, Wesley for Aston Villa, they're all over. And uh, I, it's too early to say anything, but I have hope that Matthew Hoppe with those instincts, with this kind of scrappy style, he's always deployed in midfield, can make something of himself at striker. You know, striker more than anything is a mental game. Uh, it requires a totally different skill set. It's like playing golf with a different club. And so when people are always like, oh, he's kind of a humdrum midfield prospect, I agree. But I think as a striker, he might have real metal. Yeah, and I, I'm certainly looking out for what he does these next few weeks. It's, it's a difficult situation because Schalke are so poor. But yeah, the interesting thing about being a striker is that it requires a unique skill set and it's circumstantial, you know? So you, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's just so many things can go wrong. Um, and I'm very much hoping that they don't go wrong for Matthew Hoffa <laughs> and that he continues to grab the occasional Bundesliga goal because I don't have much confidence in Schalke's general <laughs> goal scoring ability. It would be ridiculous if they got relegated. That looks very likely. Um, yeah, very. I don't think there's a, real comparison in the last at least 10 years or so of how big of, of that big a club going down um for yeah. for non for non-financial reasons i, I suppose there right. might be a few like or like the juventus scandal yeah, yeah. exactly exactly but yeah just, no, just I was, on uh, right i was i was hoping arsenal would actually get relegated this season but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen so yeah you're right Schalke, you're a monument to stupidity thank you Matthew Hoppe, and please do your thing. They're the they're not a club. See, I don't think they're they're the kind of club that I have faith in to bounce back if they go down. You know, like the way they have so catastrophically dropped off from when David Wagner had them in like fifth um, in <laughs> in November of 2019 to now. It's sort of like, how do you even begin to to start anew here? Like, unlike. Norwich of last Premier League season where they always had faith in Daniel Farka. They kept playing the way they're always going to play. They didn't fire him when they got relegated. And now they're like second in the championship. I, actually, they might be first. 
and yeah. you know or just humming along again i don't i don't have a lot of faith in Schalke to, to do that yep nor do i staying in the bundesliga sort of not really um sebastian Haller gets a 25 million move to ix two and three years ago i loved him three years ago now i guess i loved him at eintracht frankfurt put in a real good shift i thought he was possibly the most underrated forward in europe 55 million move to west ham so clearly someone else saw what i saw and what we saw but it didn't work out and whose fault is that david moyes i suppose (laughs) for not building around a genuine attacking talent i but it's not it's not you know i'm not prepared to say is he just a talent right because like I guess we have to see how he does at um, Ajax. Of course, competition will be much weaker there. But outside of Frankfurt, you know, he's never – he hasn't looked amazing. Of course, that's really been the, you know, bulk of his career so far. But uh, Luka Jovic was in that same Frankfurt trio, looked really good, signed for Real Madrid, obviously, for some, like, 60-whatever million. Been, I hate to say it, he's been a bust. And, uh, oh, yeah. Ante, yeah. Ante, Undoubtedly. Ante Rebic has been, you know, not a bust, but he hasn't, I don't think he's quite hit the heights he did well in that Frankfurt trio. He's been good, but you might say there's been a drop off from all three of them. So, like, maybe Kovac is secretly an offensive genius. Maybe he cut off his supernatural penis. I don't know. But um, I, I'm not prepared to lay the blame here on West Ham. Although, interestingly, Felipe Anderson, another attacking star, kind of fell out of favor at West Ham. Got a loan move to Porto, though. He did, he's not playing well at Porto. He isn't. Like he's not playing much, period. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't watch Porto games, but I look at their starting lineup uh, pretty much every time they play, and he is not in it at the moment, which is very strange. I mean, with Haller, so I watched the highlights, the extended highlights from the Ajax PSV game this past weekend. Um. And I'd, I'd, A, first of all, like to give kudos to Ryan Gravenberg, uh, who is just has this the, the Paul Pogba quality for me of um, being both very economical, uh, but also very nice to watch with his movement sort of on the ball. But I'd almost phrase it as being like around the ball. He moves, he shifts and contorts his body um, when dribbling and receiving passes to fit the ball's movement so nicely that it's 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 almost not moving like with the ball it's moving letting the the ball direct your <laughs> movement it's very it's very fun to watch also uh daniel mullen who had two assists uh for psv who's who's basically putting up like a goal contribution in game um high hopes for him as well as anthony yeah at ix who scored the equalizing goal uh but seth Howard played this entire second half and you know, I didn't watch the full 45 minutes. I can't uh, give an accurate description as to how he really fit into the Ajax system, per se. But he had uh, one goal ruled offside by just, like, half of his front foot. It's, kind of, it's the kind of thing where I'm really annoyed that the offside rule is the way it is because he's split the defenders. He's positioned himself between the defenders where... If he's five inches back from where he was, he was he was still going to get there, because um, the ball was so nice and and he made the right run. But so be it. 
and then he had sort of a assist for the the equalizer but he was sort of just like falling backwards but shifted the ball to to anthony in time so PSV's is legit competition, especially under Roger Schmidt. So good things so far. I mean, I'm I think this is going to look bad for West Ham in the in the long run. Yeah, well, Ajax, I mean, they also turned Deuce and Tadic into Lionel Messi's younger brother, right? Yeah, I mean yeah. Th- there's precedent here. So totally. Good very good at the reclamation project. And he just fills a hole for them. I mean like center forward is not their strongest position. They've they've played decent touches there, I, I, yeah, but he's more of a, a winger attacking midfielder. So, you know, Plazen Huntelar is thirty seven at this point. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And Lucina I... Traore has has put up big numbers against bad teams. Like he was, he scored like five goals against VVV Venlo when they had that like two ten two game or something. So <laughs> he's capable of some things, but Seb Howard, I think, actually could has the potential to massively improve him. Obviously, forty five minutes of I agree. Not enough to give a conclusive statement, but and I, I'm not ready to write off his talent. You know, he flashed at uh, Frankfurt. He not just flashed; he was remarkably productive, and that's the difference. He was productive at the top level before. Um, here's hoping he can do it again. I like him. Yeah, and it goes back to the the thing we said about strikers. You know, unique skill set and circumstantial. It's yeah, more more the... likely to go wrong than other positions. So. Exactly. One of the, you know, one of, if not the most unscattable position in sports, barring QB. My, my next question, West Ham, I don't think, you know, they're a comfortably mid table team, but they have just a gift for ruining forwards. Who do they ruin next? Well, you'd suspect that they go and sign a striker this summer. You're not right. going to go with Mikhail Antonio <laughs> for the rest of time. So well, you can't. I think they need. I think they need yeah. reinforcement in Jan, January, yeah. or Feb. But uh, yeah, maybe they sign a striker now. But um... I saw they were linked, and I like this a lot. I saw they're linked with Ismail Sr. from Watford. Okay. Watford obviously went down, so they could get him at a reasonable price. You know, maybe with some of that money they got for Haller, uh, probably will cost them a little more because. Sara is a little younger, is a little more flash, could be a little more potential. But I like that move a lot. I don't know. They, like they if, need an out-and-out center. I, I, Ismail Asar is a Premier League quality player, and, and it's kind of insane to me that he's playing the championship this season. But, <laughs> um, you know. He's, it's not a like-for-like. Like. Yeah, true. no, it's not. And they have a lot of of players for the wings or attacking midfield already. I mean, Fornals. Yeah, I was about to say Fornals. Jared really Bowen. Um, I'm forgetting someone else. But Jared, it seems like you want Fornals and Jared Bowen starting still. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if they if they splash the cash on another. They take another 50 million risk or it's it's strange. But they, they definitely need a, a long-term striker, I'd say. Have you seen the the Musa Dembele to Atletico Madrid links? Beyond <laughs> Musa Dembele. Why, if you're a striker, why would you ever sign for Atletico Madrid? Ever. Sometimes I, I would actually dispute this. They have a if you're, if very you're over, good history of strikers. They have a very yeah, good history of strikers. If you're over Diego 30, Forlan. If Sergio you're over Aguero, young Sergio Aguero. Young Sergio Aguero. Yeah, and you know who else? Angel Correa. Um, who sucks. Fernando Torres. <laughs> Fernando suck. Torres. He's pretty good. I, I think I think Atletico actually has one of the better 
Thomas, Thomas lineages. Thomas Lamar wants to hear from you. He sucks now. Thomas Lamar is not a striker. I'm talking actual That's number true. nines. Okay. Actual number nines. Fernando yeah, Torres, no, Orlan, Aguero, Diego Costa. It, it's, it's a weird system, right? They're hugely dependent on their striker um, because they ruin the rest of their attack. Kidding, yes. but yeah. sort of not kidding. Um, they are trying to turn Joe Felix into Antoine Griezmann's like for like. It's kind of working. Joe Felix is still flashing, but I don't know. If I'm a young striker, man, Atletico are a really good team, but I'd be nervous playing in that system. Cause for concern uh, in terms of historical precedent, but... I'd also they... be nervous Luis Suarez is going to edge me out and I'm going to become last week's news because Luis Suarez has been good. He's been good, but he can't play 90 minutes every single game. Yeah, but if you're Musa Dembele and you've been a hot commodity for three summers in a row, do you really want to go... No matter how old, do you really want to go compete with Luis Suarez? You're going to compete wherever you go. That's true. But in a system like Atletico with the Luis Suarez hanging over me, I'd be nervous about that move. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to see how many minutes he's played. He's only played 676 minutes early on so far this season. I think you'd actually see uh, an improved amount of PT at Atleti, <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not debating he should move. I just, Atleti wouldn't be your, your destination of choice. I don't know. Maybe I'm being overly pessimistic. He could definitely make this work. You're right. There's a track record of strikers there. But I, if I were him, I'd probably try to eye a team more. I'd want to go the prem, a eh? because. I think playing in La Liga is like a little less exciting just week in, week out, but that's just me. For sure. Anyways, I, you know, he's not going to get PT at Barca Real Madrid. I don't know if I'd even want to go to the, the Barcelona crowd show right now. So, you know, if he's going to go La Liga route, I think Atleti is probably his best bet, but he, he's, I think he'd be right in line to get suitors from Man U who, are, you know, would rather field Rashford on the wing. Um, probably like Arsenal who... Yeah, yeah, they have a bumming in Lacazette, but they're not really firing right now. Lacazette in particular kind of – Lacazette's been better than a bumming somehow. But he in particular kind of works best as a pair, you know, with the two-striker system up top. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making this up and it's all in my head, but – Any other thoughts on uh, a couple of prevalent January chance rumors? It's got, uh, we got Brent to Arsenal. I'm assuming that would be a loan. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, actually, no, I think I've heard permanent uh, just because he's, he's out of favor at the moment. And um, Ozil to Fenerbahce or the MLS. How much do you care about Mesut Ozil these days? I don't at all. He's really annoying. Um, Saad Kolasnach is better, is the better of the Arsenal outcast, not just because he's cheaper, but because he wants. Uh, chase down like armed robbers or something. So to to protect Mesedos though, I'm right? Sure. I I prefer Saad Mesedos bodyguard. Right, Mesedos did save uh, Gunnar Soros tremendous contribution. Thank you, Mesut. But um, no, I I, I prefer Saad Klasnach. So it, that should tell you all you need to know about what I think of Mesut Özil. And I would prefer to see him, eh, preferably in at Fenerbahce so that he can be less of a financial burden to the MLS. Yeah, I 
he's at a weird age where he's not super, super old. Like, he doesn't feel quite like a Lampard at 36, uh, Pirlo at 37 retirement projects for NYCFC. Um, but given how little he's actually played recently, you, you don't really know what the MLS would be getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Ron to Arsenal. Rafa Honigstein has poured some some lukewarm water. I don't know if I want to say cold water on that rumor, but I, I, he's poured some some chilled water on that rumor. So perhaps it's not actually that likely, but uh, he would give them a lot, I think. It's it's kind of a difficult situation where Emil Smith-Rowe has been so great since that Chelsea game. You don't really want to like put another stop in the tracks, but Willie, uh, for rotation's sake, they just need more bodies that aren't Willian and Nicolas Pepe and Granit Xhaka. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you know, am really high on Julian Brandt. I think that year, his last year for Leverkusen, my team, he was probably the best player in the Bundesliga. I think he should because Dortmund are going to have a new coach walking through those doors soon, and with a new coach comes new opportunity and I have enough faith in his abilities and I hope that he does too because Dortmund are going to be better. I think if he sticks around, I think he's got the quality to stick around. Um, I think it'd be tremendous if Arsenal pulled it off for them, but I'd rather see him at Dortmund right now as crazy as that sounds. Cause I think Dortmund have better short-term and potentially long-term prospects. And I think if he can hold out and redeem himself at Dortmund, he's got a clear path. I hate to say a bigger club because the romantic in me wants to see him just stay at Dortmund or, you know, come back to Leverkusen. <coughs> Realistic. But, uh, yeah, for me, his long-term future is clear if he's willing to stay and fight for that spot. And if he fails to fight that spot or to get that spot, so what? He's still getting paid. He can take the, you know, exit door or eject button, whatever you want to call it, next winter, maybe this summer. So, And it's weird because... Um, in the football restart in last May, you know, after the coronavirus hiatus, he looked crucial to Dortmund's success or, you know, sort of short-term success. I think they won just a couple of games winning before they lost to Bayern and that's sort of where the title (laughs) race ended. But I remember that first game back against Schalke, he was awesome. And the couple consecutive games afterwards, he was very good. And I don't think he's lost at Dortmund, you know? No, not at all. He's just a little bit out of favor right now, in which case... A permanent transfer, I don't think necessarily suits uh, all parties best, except for the buying party, because <laughs> if he goes anywhere, they're getting a baller. But I think right. a six-month loan to Leverkusen would be what I most want to see. It's not going to happen, because Dortmund aren't going to give that firepower to a Champions League quali- qualifying rival. Right. Um, so in that case, like I guess uh, maybe a six-month to Arsenal, but I don't. that doesn't really... Arsenal's just kind of getting a short-term rental. I think they need... They probably want something a little more permanent. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I think part of the worry at Dortmund is that the goals haven't come, really at all, right? Yeah. Uh, he has three goals in forty-seven league games. That's not at all what you want to see from an attacker. But I think the problem is that people are casting him as a attacker. So you know, no one thinks he's a striker, but people think he's supposed to go up there and contribute. 10 goals a year he's never been that player like that's never been who he is i remember watching him year in year out leverkusen he only had i want to say 33 
Bundesliga goals for Leverkusen in 165 games. You know, that's like a marginally better clip. And um, yeah, his last season, he managed seven goals. And the year before that, he managed nine. But that was also a Leverkusen team that was much more starved for goals. Or sorry, his last season for, yeah, his last season for Leverkusen, he only had three goals again. So uh, you need to kind of tamper what you expect from him. And you need to look for a different role. This guy is a midfielder. It's weird because he looks like attacker and sometimes he plays like an attacker, but his best season for Leverkusen came that last year. Peter Bosch moved him to midfield. He had 11 assists. He's really good at progressing the ball. He's totally intuitive in space when paired with another, you know, aggressive midfielder. If I'm Dortmund, like just trust the guy with some midfield minutes. Like I know it sounds counterintuitive to put a guy who doesn't do much of any defending out there in midfield, but sometimes you gotta just let a talented player cook right and whether it's Alex Witzel or Thomas Delaney next to him I don't particularly care I think he'll be really valuable if he's playing off of Sancho Holland and uh, preferably Thorgan Hazard in attack I think Dortmund's best midfield right now would be Sean and Brent or Witzel and Brent yeah, probably. And I'm sorry, Jude Bellingham next year. Yeah, he's been, he's actually honestly exceeded expectations so far. The fact that he pushed himself into the starting 11 with some frequency in the first half of the year was uh, not what I was anticipating. It's just weird that I think Dortmund's best ball progressor is not getting any PT. It's absolutely bizarre. It's a shame. Yeah. Especially when I, that first half against, uh, Witzel just tore his Achilles, I think, which is awful. Yeah, I saw that. Did not, not something you want to see. But Ever. when Sean came on for him, I thought Dortmund looked better. And Delaney, very average for me, honestly. You know, obviously he provides a lot of defensive solidity and can't yeah, his role I, in that sense. But if Dortmund wanted to reach did, the heights of, of a league title, Thomas Delaney is not going to cut it, unfortunately. Right. I want him to be a little more aggressive and trust Bront. Um, I don't want to be rude to Thomas Delaney. He's had a very good career. I think he's older Harry Winks. Yeah. He's better. He's better. I don't think he's, you know, if no one knows, I think Harry Winks and Mason Mount are probably like long lost sons of the leader of the Illuminati who runs some evil cabal, which is dedicated to getting them playing time in the Premier League. I think that's the only explanation. Love Mason Mount, though. Huge Mason Mount fan. Um, but yeah, Thomas Delaney gives me Harry Winks vibes, and if you're a team that wants to win a title, it's not a good thing. I think he does give me uh, the biggest coaching coach's son vibes on Dortmund. And... On that note, should we call it a day? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Alright, thank you for listening. Hopefully you'll tune in next week. See you then.